This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohen Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. Tonight's talk follows very directly from last week's. Last week we touched a little bit on one of the dangers of practice, this practice in particular, wherein if you're not careful, then what you might be cultivating when you sit in this posture with your eyes partly open, facing the wall, breathing, will not be a raw, honest heart, but might in fact be something kind of cold and detached. That possibility is always there, and we have to be vigilant about it. So tonight I want to, in some ways, address the same thing, but from a different direction. We're at the sixth in our series of eight. These are the awakenings or the realizations of great beings and as I keep saying, or as grown-ups. And I keep thinking about whether I should try to talk about things in both ways, if I should talk about it from the perspective of great beings and from the perspective of just an adult. And I think there's value in that, but what I keep coming back to in my own mind is that a true adult, someone who is truly grounded and truly clear in what they're doing, is so rare that I'm comfortable calling that person a great being. We don't have to think of these as two different things or two levels. The sixth awakening is to practice meditation. To abide in Dharma without being confused is called stability in meditation. This would seem like an easy one, because we're all about meditation. And the fact is that we could talk about meditation forever. But that's not really at the heart of this. It's this other word, stability. The Buddha said, monks, if you gather your mind, it will abide in stability. Then you will understand the birth and death of all things in the world. You will continue to endeavor in practicing various aspects of meditation. When you have stability, your mind will not be scattered. He's not just talking about meditation as something that we do on a cushion. He's talking about something much greater. And here we run into a very similar problem to the one we discussed last week, which is this idea of stability, or what we often call equanimity, looks 
like something that it's not. So if you come to this practice and you meet people who have, over time, cultivated or just naturally found some equanimity, and you watch how they don't seem to be so pushed and pulled by outside forces. They don't seem to be quick to anger. They don't seem to live at the surface of emotional extremes. If you look at that from the outside, it may look to you just kind of stoic. It may look like a person who is unemotional. And you may choose to try to cultivate that in yourself, to emulate what you're seeing in someone else's practice. Thinking that equanimity, again, is kind of cold. But that's not what equanimity is at all. Not if it's real. A few uh, years ago, uh, there was a movie that came out uh, of the Avengers. Big. One of the biggest, I think, movies ever. And I'm very fond of talking about superheroes as they relate to the Bodhisattva path. And and I I will say that movie, I think, uh, it lacked a lot of that feeling for me. So, I'm not going to talk about how Iron Man and Manjushri are really the same thing. However, there was one very compelling moment in that film that relates to what we're talking about tonight. It was very good. It was very quick. Early in the movie, when people are meeting Bruce Banner, who is the Hulk, the other superheroes are kind of quizzing him. They're all afraid of him because they don't want to set him off. Right. And they ask him, how do you do it? How do you control this thing? And he doesn't give them an answer. And the only thing we know about the Hulk is that when he completely loses equanimity, that he becomes this thing that is out of control. Right? But then later in the movie, when we really get to the, the moment that matters, when we really need him to be there, in a way that is skillful and productive and useful, we discover that he can become the Hulk at will. He can just decide to do it, and and he changes. And just before he does this, just before this reveal, he turns to the other superheroes, and he says, do you want to know my secret? I'm angry all the time. And he turns into the Hulk. It's a great moment. I'm not saying you should be angry all the time. Not exactly. But what he said was important. If you know someone who has a temper, if you know someone who is quick to anger, who lashes out, someone that you might consider to be an angry person, you understand that even though that person resides very often in anger, is always very close in proximity to anger, 
that that person is not in touch with his or her anger. Right? The reason that people lash out, the reason that people explode, is not because they're intimate with their own anger, it's because anger sneaks up on them. They do not see it coming. They're fine, and they're fine, and they're fine, and something happens. And they can't handle that moment. And they just flip. This isn't just about anger. People who are prone to anxiety, who panic. It may seem that they're always in this panicked state, but that's not really true. They're always stepping out of it and pretending that it isn't there. And it sneaks up on them again, and it sneaks up on them again, and it sneaks up on them again. The Hulk has this ability, he has this capacity for control, for skillfulness, because he's not pretending he's not angry. He is always conscious of that aspect of himself. Probably after years of fighting it and imagining, as many of us do, that the only way that he could stop this aspect of himself would be to develop this kind of perfect, loving calm all the time. And in fact, in the the earlier Hulk film, we, we conclude on a scene of him in a meditation posture trying to figure it out, it would seem. Maybe thinking really happy thoughts. It doesn't work. If you want not to be dragged into the things around you, if you want not to be thrown left and right by the forces that seem to be acting upon you, then the trick is not to resist them. The trick is to recognize them in yourself. Someone with equanimity can be called any name in the book. (laughs) The worst thing you could think of, you can throw it at that person. And that person will think, oh yeah, That thing you're calling me, I do have some of that. And they'll just keep on going. It's in insisting that that's not true that we start to fall apart. There are times in our lives when things seem as if they're just too much and things are collapsing. If you don't want to have your heart broken, you have to resign yourself to having a broken heart all the time. 
and carrying that with you all the time. And that is the nature of this practice. And that is why when we sit, we don't say, think about this or clear away this or become this. We say, sit here and include everything. Recognize that all the things that you think are not part of your image of a practitioner, that they are with you and that they will always be with you. You will transcend them by getting bigger than they are. Not by somehow erasing them from your mind. I have this image. I think sometimes the way that we sit, and sometimes the way we conduct our lives, but especially the way we sit, is as if we're trying to balance an egg on our outstretched finger. We sit down, we get this posture, we get our breath, we get really stable, and then we just put this egg. And we think, oh God, don't drop this egg. And we make ourselves so still and so focused. And we create this very narrow experience for ourselves. We're holding ourselves as the person that we think we're supposed to be. So I sit down and suddenly I have this magnanimous mind, I think. And I have these loving thoughts, I think. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to hold very carefully to this image of who I think I'm supposed to be. I'm trying to balance that. I can barely breathe. Because if I do, if I breathe too deeply, the egg will fall. So what we do in this practice, once we struggle through that for weeks or months or years, and we figure out that this is no way to live my life, is we sit down, we find our posture, we straighten out our back, we pick up the egg, and we break it on the ground, and then we sit. In the full knowledge that now it's done. That egg was always going to break. Always. So we just do it first. It's preemptive. I'll redo this little bit again. Monks, if you gather your mind, it will abide in stability. Then you will understand the birth and death of all things in the world. Birth and death is used as birth and death, but it always refers also to to arising and disappearance. It's change. If you want not to be rocked by change, you have to stop holding on to what things are. Starting with yourself. 
You will continue to endeavor in practicing various aspects of meditation. When you have stability, your mind will not be scattered. Which is to say, it won't chase. When I was young, I used to ride horses with my my grandfather. He was a rancher. But he, he never had his own ranch. He didn't have that kind of money. So he worked for other ranchers until he was in his 80s. I would go riding with him in the mountains um, because there was a rancher in the, the Bitterroot Valley in Montana. And the way that, that his ranch was shaped was there were, you know, there, was, there were barns and there were fields, but mostly there was a mountain range. And we would go up and we would just try to keep track of where the cows were. We'd ride for days in the mountains, and we'd find cattle. And no matter where they were, they were exactly where they were supposed to be. Because their field was about the size of Nova Scotia. (laughs) So in this next line, when he says, it is like a well-roofed house or a well-built embankment, understand, it's not a small house. If you want this to work, you have to think in terms of scale, in terms of scope, so that you can't see the walls. There is nothing dangerous about being angry in a really, really, really big room. But it's when your mind creates a really small space that then anger means you're going to bump up against something. You're going to crash. Sadness is the same. Fear is the same. It is like a well-roofed house or a well-built embankment which will help you maintain the water of understanding and keep you from being drowned. This is called stability in meditation. That's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.